the world remains an ever-changing place where we have to train these skills, these analytical, critical thinking skills, which doesn't mean critical, that you become neurotic, that you don't trust anything. See, this is another extreme where the trend is going, that people are saying, I'm not following any media, I don't trust anyone, and this is a great, great fertile ground for those who want to manipulate. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Under 30, a podcast brought to you by the partnership between the European Commission and the Council of Europe in the field of youth. I'm Ismail Sivico, and together with Lana Bazic, we'll be hosting this episode. We hope you enjoy. Today we are talking about media information literacy. What is it? Why is it important? How is it connected to young people's participation? And can it be taught? Our guests today are Malika and Evaldas. Malika works with uh, Salto Participation and Information and Evaldas is the media information literacy trainer and freelancer project manager. Welcome to both of you. And Malika, I would like to ask you to start by introducing yourself. Hi, dear listeners. Hi, everyone. Such a pleasure to be here. Yes, my name is Melika. I am based in Estonia and uh, my background is in uh, communications and activism. And this on a local, regional and international level. I have been involved in uh, topics like youth participation and advocacy, environmental action, integration and culture and so on. So quite diverse with the same mission to make our lives a little bit better, to make my contribution. And as mentioned, I currently work as a media and information literacy coordinator at Salto Participation and Information Resource Center. Hi, Lana. Hi, Melika. Nice to be here and thank you for the invite. Um, I'm Evaldas Rupkus and I uh, have my background actually in um, international youth work, youth information and counseling. And uh, at the very beginning, I was working with structured dialogue and uh, youth participation on regional or national level back in Lithuania. But then when I moved to Germany, I worked uh, also in uh, the International uh, Youth Service on the topic of e-participation. And uh, there we always said that no participation without information. And uh, this is, I think, also something that already jumps into your uh, questions uh, where you want to go. But uh, at the moment, I'm also training uh, a bit uh, outside of Europe. Uh, so my focus is Asia and Europe, um, but also sometimes um, in MENA region or in Africa uh, when it comes to training trainers or training those who want to teach uh, media information literacy. So I do work with curricular development for formal education or also non-formal education. Um, in countries like Mongolia or Ukraine. And at the moment, I do work at uh, the International Media Development Center, uh, DW Academy, uh, where I also work as project officer for the Baltics. Perfect. So thank you very much, Evaldas and Meliga, for that short and concise introduction about your work and what you've been up to, especially what your connection is with today's topic. So I guess before we dive into the specifics about media and information literacy, I would like to ask mainly, what is media and information literacy and why is it so important for young people, let's say, in, uh, in this case? Yeah, um, 
<laughs> I will leave Evaldas to talk about the, the official, let's say, definition. Um, but I like to introduce MIL or media and information literacy as a survival skill. I'm taking a little bit of different approach instead of uh, giving complex theoretical um, model descriptions at the moment, which I sometimes do. But here now, just saying to human to human, it is a survival skill because media is all around us. It influences us all around us. And without knowing how to find information, critically analyze information, to use information and act in a good way with information, I would say it is rather impossible to thrive as a human being in nowadays society. And we are not just talking about the complex challenges of social media or or technology, but all levels of starting, how do we make our consumer decisions? What do we buy or don't buy based on what? Where do we study? Uh, which NGO are we supporting? Uh, do we feel that climate change is a hoax or do we believe that it is not? Are we having mental issues because of excess of information? or because we don't feel that we have access of information. So information, in a way, is all around us, but we now need competencies and skills to navigate in this world. So it is a survival skill for us to thrive. That's how I would uh, define what media and information literacy is. And naturally, the topic is extremely wide. Uh, it is connecting and touching base with human rights issues, uh, democracy, also um, gender studies, uh, very, very, very much connected with MIL, whether we naturally critically analyze information, how do we analyze the biases are in involved, psychology is involved. It is really sort of interlinked with all aspects of human life. That's how I would explain it, but Evaldus can give the official description and, and more for sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's easier said than done because I think um, there are many different uh, descriptions and, and definitions of uh, this term. There is also a big fight uh, whether we call this MIL, media information literacy, or whether do we to uh, talk only about media literacy or maybe even digital skills. So there are different definitions that in the end end up having more or less the same effect or, or, or ending up, you know, being really very close to each other and actually interlinked. So I don't think that it's um, so much of an importance now to agree, you know, which of the, of the definitions do we take. I do like the one that UNESCO is trying to promote. And this is also what uh, we at EW Academy uh, do quite a bit. So this is the so-called UNESCO's composite concept of media and information literacy. And um, exactly as, as Melika said, the, the most important part is that it encompasses more than only information disorder or only news literacy, what, you, what most of us actually mean when we talk about disinfo, misinfo, and, um, or fake news, as they like to say, which we don't like to say, <laughs> because there are no news at all. So this is exactly the thing that the field is just very broad, and that's the first challenge of it, to really explain and sell it simply. Or as I say, we really need to make 
am I L sexy again, uh, to, co to quote uh, somebody whom we don't want to quote. So um, this is indeed the thing that we need to consider in a bit broader sense. And uh, Melika already mentioned some core competences. I would maybe like to point out a couple of other uh, aspects that we're not talking about media professionals here. Media information literacy is meant for everybody. And I think latest infodemic, now the war in Europe and hybrid uh, information warfare, uh, all of these aspects just prove how life-saving this set of skills can be. And that's why it is particularly in the reality of user-generated content where we don't have any more one broadcaster who is uh, fact-checking and, you know, then uh, providing us with the information uh, that we should use to make informed decisions, all of us suddenly can create content and all of us somehow is supposed to be able to have the skill of creating and is also getting this uh, huge megaphone to broadcast his or her uh, ideas, which is, of course, a great chance for everybody who wants to get involved, everybody who wants to be active, but also it is connected with a lot of responsibility. And these are exactly the aspects that we try to point out and to underline because this is not only a skill, it is also a privilege uh, in some regards, uh, particularly with people who still are lacking also the basic literacy, which is also part of the media information literacy. And uh, next to that, you can also add aspects like digital literacy, ICT, information safety, news literacy already mentioned, but then also film, book literacy. We talk even about advertisements, marketing, also new or alternative media like uh, VR or AR, XR, all these aspects are actually covered, including also aspects like copyrights, um, how to research for a you know, a good and fact-checked piece of research. So all of these aspects are actually covered by the term, and that makes it, of course, very complex, but that also makes it very interesting because we have much more than we think that we're talking about. Thank you both. It sounds indeed like a very complex and interesting topic. And while you were both speaking, the first thing that came to my mind was also the question that you both mentioned about the digital literacy and digital skills. And this is something we explored quite a bit at the Youth Partnership, which has a lot to do also with the access and the digital gap in inequalities. But really the first kind of red flag or exclamation point that comes to my mind when it comes to media information literacy is critical thinking skills, because this is essentially what you're mentioning, that people are able to really process everything that is coming their way, analyze it and kind of distinguish what type of information is true how it affects their lives and how they can use it. So is media information literacy basically just teaching young people how to think critically about everything that is out there in different spheres, digital spheres? Well, if I may, um, I think it's not only about uh, thinking, it's also about um, writing in terms of media messages in very general terms, you know, also, I don't know, not, not only writing as a post, but uh, writing by creating a photo, a video or anything of that kind. So it is, yeah, it, it, it really comes to that. Melika, what do you think? Yeah, I always have a little bit of issue. <laughs> 
<laughs> when we are I know this uh, podcast is uh, under 30 but I also know that when we are talking to young people what they should know and they should do then I see a huge challenge throughout generation this is definitely intergenerational challenge and needs and the educators are also struggling because none of them have been trained to deal with nowadays challenges and nowadays obstacles when they received their education the world was a different place and it is changing super quickly so i would say that it is it is absolutely a topic where we should uh, not go to the way that we have to educate young people because they are the future of whatever tomorrow. They are here right now and in some aspects they are smarter and more qualified than people in uh, 40s, 50s or 60s. Even though they have less life experience, they have specific experience. That doesn't mean that just because they know how to use all platforms, they have all the knowledge. But I see, I see that we have to have this conversation more and more from the intergenerational point of view. And critical thinking is absolutely something that is also, I think, something that has always been valued and needed, but in maybe not reflecting in all the school systems where knowing facts has been put into high position and learning them and remembering them. But the facts, not facts, but the situations are always changing. So the analytical skills in general, I think, are becoming more and more um, valuable. The world generally is getting more complex. This means that also for the educators, adults, uh, parents, grandparents, the world remains an ever-changing place where we have to train these skills, these analytical, critical thinking skills, which doesn't mean critical that you become neurotic, that you don't trust anything. Because I see this is another extreme where the trend is going, that people are saying, I'm not following any media, I don't trust anyone. And this is a great, great fertile ground for those who want to manipulate, take them out of all the media, make them distrust everything, and you also have to control. So I, I have to I have a feeling that it's just in so many levels we need to start putting more effort on critical and analytical thinking in schools, in non-formal education, and in all age groups. Allow me to play now here more of the uh, devil's advocate and pick your brains. Because when we're speaking about critical thinking and to teach young people media and information literacy, for instance, some might be skeptical. We were just saying now that we should be skeptical about who's teaching us what and who's telling us what. So how can we bring up that conversation with young people that might be skeptical of ourselves, maybe, of the people here having this conversation right now saying you need to be critical, stop being biased, how can we tell them or how can we prove in some sense or how can we prove that we are being unbiased ourselves when we are saying we need to teach, let's say, if you can teach, quote unquote, critical thinking, media and information literacy or how to process information, how to check, how do you do that? Well, Evadas, you were saying that you didn't like the term, but for lack of a better one, fake news and misinformation and all of this, how do you bring up that conversation with a young person that maybe just says, well, who are you to teach me how to be critical or think critically or how to know what's true or false? How do you bring up that conversation? With yes, well, I think um, if, if we come back to the core, um, whether it's possible to teach, I think then the question is whether it's possible to um, 
teach reading or teach anything because this is just one of the skills that can be taught and that's obvious from all of the projects that I have seen or also in some countries we do have uh, media and information literacy as a part of a curricula either integrated in existing subjects or as a separate subject uh, at school curricula and that makes a big change. For me, uh, one of the aspects or, or one of the proofs maybe for that was also the resilience of uh, Ukrainian population when the war has uh, started because uh, uh, since 2014 there have been several resilience strengthening campaigns and initiatives running uh, in, in the country and in the region in general. And I think that we would have seen, an, or we have actually seen in 2014, a totally different response compared to what we have seen in 2022. So, of course, it's also you know very hard to say that this is exactly, this intervention was responsible for the, for the result, but I do believe that it does uh, have a huge effect. And we really need to be patient with ourselves and in this field because still we're talking about literacy. So we are in effect talking about uh, education. And as we know that uh, any changes that are being done in educational systems, curriculas, whatsoever takes quite some time, you know, until you can really feel the, the effect. Melika has mentioned before the ever-changing world and I think that that's particularly relevant to aspects that are connected with the technology but when it comes to the core or to the basics particularly to to critical thinking I don't think that this changes that quickly I do believe that there is a quite a simple and quite a basic set of also questions that you can ask while analyzing any of the uh, media messages, starting with the author, <laughs> with the source, how many of them, who are they, and so on. So really, these things are, are an easy start with any kind of media, whether it is now the new TikTok or any other, you know, newest en vogue social media or any other technological development that is, you know, used by any young people, a young person, and no teacher knows about it, which is Normally, you know, the complaint that we, those working with, uh, with youth workers and those who are teaching young people get quite often that um, older generations just feel a bit overwhelmed because of this technological development. But I do really, really uh, try to, to say, you know, keep calm and just continue doing your job because you are not without a reason here you know a bit more maybe or some other things that uh, uh, young users are not necessarily aware of including legal aspects including red lines and including also mental health uh, that has also been mentioned so um, i think there are you know a bit more to this than than only uh, always uh, talking about the speed of, of technological developments Yes, that's exactly what I would also say that I think teaching in general is uh, going in the direction where you are not the encyclopedia yourself, but uh, even for a teacher, it becomes more and more relevant to be able to find resources and quality resources and to use the methodology to support in someone learning and fi finding out the answers, not telling them. And this is also, if anyone would ask, okay, how can we trust you? I would say, you don't. 
after all, you do the fact check, you check who these people are, uh, what have been, what have they been doing, with whom have been they associated. And if you don't have the time, you can check any other resources, which of course you can also question because this is very typical sci among scientists that somebody comes up with the theory and the others are opposing that theory or criticizing that theory. But as normal people don't usually have the time and resources to do so, I think it's uh, just really helpful to be aware about your own biases because apparently we all have about 180 cognitive biases, which means that all our decision making is already biased, even those who are teach. And if there is any mill expert who says, I've never clicked on something or liked something or, or shared something ever, then there is a bias there. <laughs> the honest ones are saying that sometimes I'm struggling. Sometimes I don't know if this is uh, true or not, or, I, or I have to admit I didn't have the time to decide whether this is true or not. So the biases are out there. And uh, for instance, the most common among them, which are impacting us really a lot, is that we tend to believe information that comes from the people we trust. Also, we... Um, like more people or we trust more people who uh, think the way we already think so we are actually not so interested in getting a completely opposite idea to the one that we already believe no matter whether it's true or not and generally we cling to the information we think is true even if it's not true this applies to all human beings you can be aware about those things and then be critical more critical to yourself okay is this because i really like this person and i want to believe that person or are there some other arguments there and just as the skill of argumentation is really old and this is like evaldo says also still very helpful Yes, and if I may add at this point, this also explains the phenomena of narratives and uh, something that um, in most of the manipulative uh, disinfo campaigns is being used or constructed. So um, that is exactly, you know, the brain mechanism behind it. Uh, and that's why, you know, a grandma who is coming from, uh, who grew up in Soviet times now is much more receptive to some narratives that are being reconstructed back as they were in the Cold War times. This, I think, is, is a you know, very easy example and that uh, helps us maybe to understand it, but does not make our life easier <laughs> because uh, indeed it is uh, a lot of uh, work that needs to be done and it cannot be you know, just covered uh, in 45-minute uh, workshop on fact-checking or on text analysis. So that's why... It is indeed a, a lot of work uh, that can be done. And I would maybe add to the list that Melika already mentioned of those actors um, who are important in this. I would also say that media is uh, another stakeholder that needs to do its part. And uh, happily, at least uh, the public service media in Europe is already uh, contributing quite a bit. And we also have examples of you know, soap operas that then suddenly analyze issues of sextortion uh, in one of the episodes uh, that happened, you know, and so on. So uh, this is also another integrative approach, how you can go to these topics and uh, reach out to maybe some people who are already out of educational system or just uh, it did not uh, happen there. 
Thank you both for very much extensively answering my question. And uh, I'm guessing to summarize a bit what you two want to do with media and information literacy in some sense is to uh, teach young people how to think instead of teaching them what to think from what I'm gathering a bit about what you two were saying uh, up until now. Would you mind giving now, maybe before we go to the next question, like two or three tips each maybe you might have when it comes to um, how to analyze, let's say, check or see misinformation online. Would it be maybe like follow the money or cross-check information or look at different sources of information or maybe ask different people about it? Maybe just two or three very short tips that maybe for the listener, it might be interesting to have in mind the next time they come across something on social media or in the news or anywhere else. Um, I think that, that checking the source, uh, checking the author, checking the web link, if you, if you talk about websites, uh, if it's proper website or is there a word, letter missing, this is something that many people know and we have briefly mentioned, not so specifically. But I like to ask the question, um, we don't know yet, but just asking it makes you think critically. What could be the motivation behind this story or post? And when we, even in our mind, list three various types of motivations and one that we can immediately think this is something that is maybe biased and then something th second and third, the motivation behind it could be financial, it could be political, it could be something else is absolutely a very, very relevant question. What is the motivation? But uh, maybe Evaldas wants to add something else, otherwise I'm counting them all. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, the question why, I think, is, is the strongest one, um, uh, as, as, as long as we also understand the basic that any media message is being constructed. So this is, uh, you know, nothing that is automatically true or false. It's uh, something that is produced by a human being still. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, the further we go, the more, uh, you know, texts are also being generated by the artificial intelligence. And uh, I think this might be another challenge we should really think about <laughs> in the very near future. Um, yeah, but, but to get back to really into the reasons uh, and to just understand that most of the uh, media messages are constructed in order to gain uh, profit or power. And that, you know, I think uh, quite easily then helps us to just, you know, get a bit more cautious. Um, however, maybe not uh, schizophrenic necessarily. Thank you both. I think we all spoke quite a bit about uh, what it is uh, and what we need to pay attention to and then also how it should be promoted and as Malika said, not only uh, among young people but also all generations and especially on this topic. But how do you find it in your work? How easy or difficult do you find it in your work to promote the need to teach media and information literacy among different stakeholders? Because we, you mentioned the media. We also know there, there's no formal education. There are teachers in schools. There are policymakers, uh, youth organizations. So when you promote the need for, uh, for this skill to be learned, do you find that it is easy to do so or is it something that is still quite challenging? I think it depends a bit on the overall situation. <laughs> and uh, last couple of years have been quite, well, 
by not not the best reasons, but because of them, have been quite easy for those who are working in the field of media information literacy to prove why do we need to do it. So it's, you know, more or less also like in the youth field, it's also always the question whether it's unemployment that's leading the, the agenda or is it the political participation that is leading the agenda. So depending on the weather forecast and the political and financial situation, that uh, changes. So this is exactly the same also in, in the field of MIL that... If we have infodemic, meaning the COVID pandemic, and then, you know, people suddenly drinking the disinfection liquids or anything because they read somewhere that this is exactly how you cure it. So here you go. Um, and then, of course, uh, latest growth, maybe, or, or even, you know, getting more of the disinfo uh, that is coming because of the geopolitical situation. So this is exactly, you know, the reason that gives us the arguments for it. And I think that at the moment, there is quite a big consensus of that. However, I do notice that uh, in these uh, kind of a hot situations, we tend to simplify the field of MIL to some very specific topics. So in this situation, particularly in, in Eastern Europe, but also Central Asia, Asia, we do talk quite a bit of information disorder. So, you know, disinfo is the king. Uh, and uh, it is, of course, the topic number one uh, when it comes to media information literacy, because we just all see the effects of it very quickly and, and, and uh, very strongly, because, you know, democracies are being manipulated and endangered in its sense. However, when we then look back Back at our target audience, which in our case are mainly young people, I'm not so sure, you know, how much of a 14-year-old is really burning for the latest uh, political issue or the latest political scandal. But we should just remind ourselves that we cannot talk about critical thinking or media information literacy and start straightforward from fact-checking the latest fake news. It, it doesn't make the, the difference that we want to, to get. We want people to, to change their way of thinking. We want them to get a bit more, you know, critical to ask this one more question, why? And for that, it is just not enough to only do the fact checking. You also need to look in the very basics, in very simple things, like what is quality information? How do I... Um, use information? How do I research? Where do I look for that? Thank you, Evaldes. Uh, Malika, do you have anything to add uh, on this question or any other closing words? I think Evaldes uh, summarized it really well. When we are talking about younger audiences, then I think social connections is really, really strong motivator to teach Mill. And with those ending notes, we have reached an end to our episode. Thank you very much, Evaldas and Melika, for participating in this podcast. And to all the listeners, remember that you can find more information about MIL in the description. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at EUCOE Youth to stay up to date with all our future content. Thank you very much, and see you next time.